Bob Russell uh, was from Louisville, Kentucky. He uh, started at a church of about 200 people, I think in the, the 1970s. And that church grew from 200 so people to almost 30,000 people over his 40 years of ministry. Amazing, amazing ministry. But there comes a time for all of us to transition, right? And he was getting near his retirement and there's mixed emotions. Does anybody know what that would be like when you retire? Mixed emotions about having freedom and free time, but also that loss, that loss of purpose and what you were going to do. And, you know, it's just a difficult balance. He said that at the, nearing the end of his retirement that he had a friend whose name was Jeremy. And Jeremy was born with Down syndrome, but he was very high functioning. And he used to come in the summers to live with his grandparents. And then he'd go back with his family uh, somewhere else during the school year. But he would always come up to Bob following the service. And he'd talk with Bob. And they always had great conversations. And uh, he always looked forward to seeing Jeremy. And he said one day Jeremy came up to him and he said, uh, you know, I like coming to church here. Bob said, well, we like having you, Jeremy. And he said, you know, you good preacher. Bob said, well, thank you, Jeremy. And he said, you know, Bob, you got good potential. <laughs> and at first Bob just laughed and he thought, well, I'm almost retired. But then he, he began to realize that God had used this young man who spoke with such quiet frankness to remind him that he still had purpose to remind him that his life was not going to conclude, but it was just going to be a new season of life. And sometimes we need to understand that God is still moving in our midst, that God is still calling us to do great things. Seasons don't impact calling. Your calling, who God in, intended you and created you to be is for a lifetime. You just graduate from one season to the next. But let me ask you a question today. Do you believe that God can still use you? Yes. You ask the person next to you to say, do you believe that God can still use you? Because that is going to be a paramount question for us today. It's going to be very relevant in who we are and to what we feel called to in our effectiveness in the next season of our life. And maybe you believe today that you're past your prime or that you have no more effectiveness or that you're unusable or unwanted or that you're a throwaway person. Maybe you are so damaged by some past event in your life that your PSD paralyzes you when it comes to truly living. If that's where you are today, I want you to know that this message is for you. Because maybe you've given up on yourself, but friends, God has not. God has not forgotten you. God has not forsaken you. And if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. You know, two of my favorite movies came out in 1986. My dad always would take me to, to movies in the summertime. I always loved going. But one of them was one of the all-time great movies from Indiana, a movie called Hoosiers. I've probably watched it a thousand times, right? Such a great movie about my people in Indiana. But another one I remember my dad taking me to in 1986 was a movie called Top Gun. Anybody ever see that movie, Top Gun? It is a movie about Lieutenant Pete Mitchell, who is a, air, a, a Navy fighter jock who is 
uh, confident and even cocky and arrogant. He flies with an edge and a passion. His best friend in his backseater, that just means the guy that, that does the navigation and the weapon systems, was a guy that, that's call sign was Goose. And so you had Maverick, who was Lieutenant Mitchell, who was the pilot. You have Maverick and you have Goose. They are best friends. They are inseparable. They went everywhere together and did everything together. Well, as the movie starts, you see that these two young lieutenants are going to get the chance to fly with the best and that the Navy is going to send them to their top school, their top ace pilot school called Top Gun. And so they go there and they're in a competition. It's all these big egos, right, of these fighter pilots. If you know any fighter pilots, they're a, they're a different breed, man. I mean, they wear mustaches like Tom Selleck and they are on the edge and they are living on the edge and just a, a, a very confident group. Um, love being around those guys because they're so fun to interact with. But a lot of those egos were there vying to see who the best pilot was. Well, during a training exercise, there is a malfunction in the plane. And although Maverick is a great pilot, he can't recover. And both he and Goose have to eject from their plane. And during the ejection, Goose hits his head, breaks his neck on the canopy and is killed. And Maverick is, in, uh, is, is unconsolable, inconsolable. He can't deal with the emotion of losing his best friend. He's wondering if it was his mistake, if it was his fault. Um, and so he just kind of stops. He stops flying and he just can't get back into being who he was because the PTSD, the, the trauma, the hurt have stolen that confidence and that ability. And so he may never even fly again. But he has enough credits to graduate school. And when he does, he's sent to the USS Enterprise with some of the other uh, very good pilots because there is uh, tension with a surprise nation, uh, Russia, at the time. 1986. Boy, like that will ever happen again. <laughs> and during this tense situation... There are two, there are a couple of MIG, Russian MIG fighters that are coming into their airspace. And so they launch some of the Navy, um, I think it was F-16 fighters to kind of deal with it. But the situation becomes even more tense. The Russians fire on the Americans. One of the planes is lost and the backup pilot, the backup plane that's, that's been ready to go into combat in case of a situation like this was Maverick in his new backseater. And so he's launched and he sees this dogfight playing out in the air and his backseater's like, there they are, Maverick, we got to go. We got to get in the fight. We got to be there. They need us right now. And Maverick is sweating profusely. And he's like, no, no, it's no good. I can't get into it. Uh, this isn't, you know, I, I'm not going to be helpful. And he just kind of flies off and everybody's yelling. The people from the ship, the other pilots, his backseater, Maverick, you got to re-engage. You got to re-engage. We need you in this fight. You got to re-engage. And he's like, I can't, I can't. And then there's this really kind of this ethereal moment where Maverick is holding the dog tags of his best friend and he says, talk to me, Goose. Talk to me. In the meantime, this firefight, is this, this dog fight's going on all around them and people's lives are at stake. And finally, it's like there's a breakthrough and he pulls his jet and he gets back in the fight. He re-engages. And I kid you not in the movie theater, there's only twice that I remember this happened. One was Rocky when Rocky beat the Russian. The other is in Top Gun. When he engaged, the crowd began to clap and cheer in the movie theater. 
Because everybody loves a story of redemption and hope and the ability to re-engage after we've been broken. I think that that's what God wants to do in your life today. Maybe it's time for you to re-engage and get back into the fight, to get back to doing what God created you to do since the time that you were born because you are God's masterpiece who has created anew for you to do the good things that he planned for you long ago. Listen, you have a purpose, you have a mission, you have a calling. And just because life has not turned out the way that you think that it should have or was going to does not mean that that calling has been forfeit. You have been called to do great things. You have been called to go forward. You've been called to change the, the lives of those around you to recreate the realities that people need to, to be in in order to see clearly the son of God, not because of who you are, but because of who lives inside of you. And you got to re-engage. You got to get back into the fight. You got to put the trauma and the heartbreak and the heartaches behind you because you are called to live. To live. You know, friends, there is a distance, a difference between existing and living. Existing means we just live out our days or wait for the end to come. Living means, regardless of your circumstance or your situation, that every day is a new adventure. And friends, which one do you think God wants for you? Which one do you think the enemy wants for you? Today is a day to live. Last time we saw Moses, he's standing on Mount Sinai in the presence of God himself. And God is talking with him about getting back into the fight. And Moses doesn't want anything to do with it. Now, let me just tell you, if you've experienced trauma in your life, uh, the last thing that you want to do is to re-engage because with trauma, if you have been hurt bad enough in your life, it makes you panicky. It makes you uh, want to run as far away and as fast as you can away so that you don't get hurt again. I know because I've experienced it and maybe you have too. And it's in those moments more than anything that we need to know what God tells Moses at first when he's on the mountain. I will be with you. I have not left you. I have not forsaken you. I have not forgotten the mission that I created you for. I will be with you. I am with you today. I am with you right now. I'm in the midst of your your struggle and your grief and your heartache and your challenges. I am still with you right now. And that's... What this mountain experience, mountaintop experience is about for Moses and for God. God tells Moses, hey, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. But Moses doesn't want to go. And so God begins this process of building Moses' faith and trust. You see... There is this process that we must all go through when we have fallen, when we have been broken, when we have been hurt, when our heart has been shattered into a million pieces, that we need to learn to trust God. And so God will give us these minor victories so that when the bigger challenges come, we're going to be ready because we've seen God work in our past. We've seen him intervene in our lives before. We know that he's going to intervene in our lives again. And so we step into an unknown reality because we know the God who's already there. 
verses 2 through 3 of Exodus chapter 4. If you want to turn your Bibles, your mobile devices, whatever, walk with me there. Bring your Bibles so that you can underline key verses, key phrases. Open your mobile device so that you can highlight that device. And when you go back or when you're studying sometime later, you'll still be able to recall it and know what God is doing. Verses 2 through 3 says this. Then the Lord asked him, what's that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. And Moses jumped back. I hate this part of the story. Because like the great philosopher Indiana Jones, I hate snakes. You know... um, Don't call me names, by the way. Last night at our dinner table, uh, the girls were calling each other scaredy cats. Anybody know what that means in here? So my wife began to politely describe, explain to them that that wasn't very nice. And they said, what's a scaredy cat? And and, uh, Erica just said, you know, that's what people say to tease each other. And my four-year-old said about my six-year-old, she said, well... I don't mean it is a, a, a mean thing to my sister. I know she likes dogs, so I call her a scaredy dog. <laughs> Somehow I think she missed the point of that conversation. But Moses is not a scaredy cat. He's smart because we know snakes bite. And there are a lot of snakes in that region in which Moses was living in and traveling in then. And a lot of them were venomous snakes. And he knew that one bite from one of those snakes in that day, in that age, could lead to fatalities and deaths. And so when he saw the serpent, he jumps back. I'd have jumped back too. Would you? Verses 4 through 5 says this. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab it by its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform the sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Now I'm reading this, and I'm thinking to myself, Moses must have been thinking, you want me to do what, Lord? Now... Obviously, God, you don't understand this thing about snakes because if you knew about snakes, you would know that you never grab a snake by the tail. Because if you grab a snake by the tail, it's going to wriggle and flail and it's going to do everything in its power to turn back and bite you. You grab a snake from behind its head, Lord. Obviously, you don't have a lot of knowledge about snakes. And I can see in my mind's eye, God's, you know, sitting wherever he is and saying, just kind of smiling to himself. And he's like, you know, I think I got this about snakes, Moses. I think I understand it. But it's not about what you know, Moses. It's about you learning to trust me. And so grab it by the tail and hold on. Because when you do, we're going to do great things together. Friends, I want you to know that great moments never happen in safe places. Great moments never happen in safe places Rarely do they ever make logical sense. Grab a snake by its tail? 
But friends, you you got to understand that the grab the snake by those tail moments require you to trust God in the midst of your circumstances. Great moments never happen in safe places. And friends, throughout history, the great moments in time are like when a young man named Daniel trusted God in the lion's den. I don't know about you, but that would have been uncomfortable for me going through the night with a bunch of hungry lions, even though God said that he's going to send angels to close up their mouths. Hey, uh... You in the back, could you uh, grab me a Diet Coke and just, uh, you guys eat your pizza over there. I'm just going to stay over here by myself. Great moments are when a 17-year-old young adult boy, young man, is facing the champion, a battle-tested, a battle-scarred giant of their arch nemesis, the Philistines, with simply five smooth stones. Now, I get it. He may have been an expert slinger, but he's a 17-year-old man against a grown man who dwarfs him. And not only is his life on the line if he loses against mighty Goliath, but the freedom of his entire community, the entirety of the Hebrew people is also on the line. Those great moments are like a young queen risking immediate death by approaching her king, who also happens to be her husband, to ask for his mercy so that her people would not be destroyed. Great moments are when young, educated fishermen are standing before the greatest powers of their day to tell them who Jesus is, even though culturally that would have been suicide. Maybe you're in that space today. Maybe you are on the cusp of one of those great moments and you're fighting for a fledgling marriage or you're waiting for a, uh, uh, and praying for a wayward child or you're sitting next to an addict friend who has fallen once again. Maybe it, for you it's standing up and speaking out for your faith in Jesus even when it's not culturally cool or speaking up for those who are hopeless and poor and destitute and disenfranchised. Maybe it's you loving even when it's not easy. Maybe for you it's serving in a nursery when you're 80 years old or leading worship in an assisted living facility when you're 20. Because what scares you cannot defeat you when God is with you. I used to have this, you know, there used to be this um, company called Successories back in the 80s and 90s. And they had these pithy, cool sayings with these beautiful, amazing pictures. And uh, when I got married, my wife threw all mine away. But for years, I had a picture in my home office uh, and it was a picture of a ship. And it said, ships are safe in the harbor, but that's not what ships are made for. Do you realize that you are in danger of missing out on maybe the greatest adventure of your life today? Because you want to sit in the harbor. And in doing so, you miss out on the journey. And friends, it's not the destination. We know where we're going. Part of the great joy in life is getting there. So today, are you going to choose to exist or are you going to choose to live? Because they are very, very different animals. God wants us to trust him. So grab the snake by the tail and hold on.
Verses 6 and 7 say this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in. And when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. You know, I think we just kind of zoom by this verse when we read it. Right. Uh, the word here that's used for skin disease in the New Living Translation in the in the Hebrew, it's the word for leprosy. Leprosy can mean a lot of different things. It was a generic term that was used for lots of skin diseases. It, it, it is extreme. You could lose body parts and lose function and be shunned by your community because you would be extremely contagious. Leprosy was a horrible way to live in an even more horrible way to die. But we just kind of zip through that. Put your hand in your cloak, Moses. Puts his hand in his cloak and he pulls his out. What? Stunned silence. Abject horror. And in the silence, God speaks into that space and says, now put your hand back into your cloak. And he does. And when he pulls it out again, boom, he's healed. Can you imagine the, the flood of emotions you would have felt? I mean, this is better than a Benny Hinn TV show. <laughs> Except God's actions are not any stage stunt. This is real life with real consequences. Verses 8 and 9 say, Then the Lord said to Moses, If they do not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they will be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it out on dry ground. When you do, the water from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. It seems unbelievable to me that in this moment, how hard it must have been for Moses. But God is leading Moses step by step. Trust me. I'm going to be faithful in the small things so that you can believe me in the big things. Now, don't forget, we talk about this, the Hebrew tradition, Zakar, the Zakar tradition in Hebrew, which simply means Zakar is the Hebrew verb, which means to remember. And all the way through um, the books of um, Deuteronomy and Joshua, you see this heavy Hebrew tradition of Zakar. Remember, remember, remember. Who do you think wrote those books as God translated them to him? Moses. Because there's power in remembering, there's power in remembering the faithfulness of a God who loves you and who created you, who's been with you before in the difficult times. For when you face other challenging seasons, you will remember his faithfulness, know that he still steps into the lives of men and women today, and that there is still hope, that there is still transformation, that there is still the ability to find healing, that relationships can be resolved, that, that wayward children can be brought back, that your life is not over. Friends, when God is in your midst, anything is possible. So are you going to choose to exist today or are you going to choose to live? Verse 10 says, but Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been and I'm not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue tied and my words get tangled and I'm like Elmer Fudd. I might have added that last part. 
But if you remember when we read in Acts chapter 7 a couple weeks ago, when Stephen, who becomes the first Christian martyr in Acts chapter 7, is talking about the history of the Hebrew people, he talks about the Hebrew tradition and what they said about Moses. And what they said was, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. He's not talking about when Moses was leading the people through the wilderness. He was talking about when Moses was 40, when he was growing up, educated at the best schools, a military strategist, the prince of Egypt, the next Pharaoh maybe to sit on the throne, that he was strong in word and deed. He had the ability to speak, to influence, to move people. Because he was gifted as a communicator. But now 40 years later, after Moses has lost his mojo, that's in the Hebrew, I think, that word mojo. But he's lost his mojo, he's lost his confidence, he's lost his swagger. And he's been tending sheep instead of leading armies. Moses said, you know, I'm just tongue-tied. I, I, I don't... I can't do this, God. I don't want to go back. Send someone else, not me. Verses 11 and 12 says this. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you. Don't miss that. Underline that phrase. Highlight that phrase. I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you what to say. Jesus said it a little bit differently a couple thousand years later, 1400 years later, excuse me. Then the Lord asked, uh, he, what he said was for the good news must first be preached to all nations. But when you're arrested and you stand trial, don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at the time, for it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm a little biased, but my grandpa Hargrave was an inspiration to me. He planted something like 11 churches and he taught Bible college. He was a New Testament professor for 15 years at Great Lakes Christian College, along with my grandmother, who was a music professor and taught piano. Um, but... I'm a little bit like my grandpa in the fact that my mom told me that people used to kind of call him the nutty professor. You remember that movie where he got kind of distracted and sometimes you'd mix up your words. And when I was going to college there, I would have, I had one of the professors say to me, you know, said, I loved your grandpa. He was kind and sweet. Uh, when you talk to him, sometimes he'd get ahead of himself and his words would get a little, you know, tangled. And, um, he said, but except for one place when he was in the pulpit, I never once heard him stumble over his words. You see, there's something powerful when we are being God's vessel and allowing him to speak through us. There's something powerful when God is moving in your life and moving in your actions and moving in the way you serve and moving in the way that you love and moving in the way that you're growing. Because as a believer in Jesus, when you are in his presence, when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, the gift of that Holy Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when you are walking with Jesus, when you have his seed planted in your heart, you cannot help but have those fruit. So if you don't, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. As I 
quote, an 80s rapper. Because you were created for something greater. Verses 13 and 14 says, but Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. Why would God get angry with Moses? I think maybe it's because Moses was still focused on himself and whether he would succeed or not. What God really wanted him to do was to focus on him. You see, it's, it's not Moses reputation that was on the line that, that season. It was God's. I'll go back to the story of Esther when Mordecai, which if we ever have another child, we're going to name him Mordecai. That's why Erica got her tubes tied. <laughs> Mordecai says to his cousin Esther when he's telling her, you got to go speak to the king on behalf of the, the Jewish nation because if you don't, your family will suffer, but God will raise someone else from somewhere else to accomplish this task. Don't you want to be a part of God's plan, not just for your life, but what he wants to do through you? It's not about your reputation or who you are or what you're doing. It's about God's victory and God's reputation in what he's doing. So walk with him because he says over and over again, I will be with you. Verses 15 and 16. All right, he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he speaks well and look, he's on his way to meet you right now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you. I will be with both of you as you speak. And I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say and take your shepherd staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. Now, friends, there there are those who read this passage and their takeaway is this. Moses had a lack of faith. And so because of his lack of faith and his unwillingness to follow God and God's leading, God acquiesced and gave him plan B, which was his brother Moses. And eventually Moses would rue the day that he allowed Aaron to come along. Because as you'll remember, when uh, Moses is on Mount Sinai talking with God, Aaron gets impatient as the people are crying out for something to worship. He creates a golden uh, golden cow that uh, just kind of, he said, we just put the jewelry there and it just came out that way, Moses. I don't know what happened. And later on, Aaron and Moses' sister Miriam are going to cause problems and and stage a revolt and betray their brother. And so if Moses just would have listened, then he wouldn't have had to suffer. I don't get that from this passage. Let me tell you why. Moses was scared. He was terrified. He had PTSD. He believed his best days were before him. He was afraid to leave his family or lead his family into Egypt. He knew that his life could be forfeit. He knew that they didn't listen to him when he was prince of Egypt. Why would they listen to him now? He was simply a shepherd who didn't have enough money to have his own home. 
some believe, he was still living with his father-in-law in this basement. And so in the midst of that season, in his fear and in his panic, God sends him his brother, who is also his friend, to walk beside him. Here's the thing, friends. When God is calling you on your mission, there are going to be days that you're discouraged and days that you question what God is doing and whether or not God can use a wreck like you. It's in those moments I think God brings people into our lives, one another. We get to be a part of his great plan to love on and encourage us. All of us need friends. All of us need community. And what you have here on Tuesdays is community, but you've got to be willing to engage with other people because you've got to know that you're not alone. Not only is God with you, but God wants to bring others with him to you. And so when you see somebody sitting by themselves, go to them. You know, there are people who are widows in here and widowers in here who, when they go home, their houses are filled with silence and the relationship structure has been broken down because they've lost their best friend, their mate that maybe they've been married to for 60 years. They need us to rise up and to love them because none of us were created to do life alone. And the church was created to be an extension of our family So are you going to be brave today and love on others? Get outside of yourself to make sure that they feel companionship and welcome. I think God gave Moses Aaron so that he didn't have to walk that journey alone. None of us were created to be alone. And the power is ours to engage or not to engage. To serve, to not to serve, to love or not to love. But this I know, God is saying to you this morning, I will be with you. In just a second, we're going to pray and then we're going to sing. If you've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, it is the greatest decision you can ever make in life. There is no past that is so dark that God can't redeem it. There is no hurt that is so deep that God can't heal it. You are a masterpiece created anew to do the good things that he planned for you long ago. Isn't it about time you get on that journey? And if you're struggling with something today, we're going to be up here and pray for you because none of us were meant to do life alone and we need to pray for each other. So let's go, friends. The best is yet to come. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for your love and your grace. God, today I know that there are so many who feel lost and left behind and thrown away and forgotten that we wonder how our life can have any value because we just have trouble getting up in the morning. But Lord, you know why you created us and you know that different seasons in our life call for different strengths and weaknesses and callings and and use. And so God, today we pray that you would use us. You pray that you would remind us of of your passion for us, for your purpose for us, and that God, we would live unafraid 
looking forward to our next reality, but living fully in the gift you've given us in this life today. Help us to love one another. Help us to reach out to one another. Help us to look out for one another. Because God, some of the greatest gifts you give us in this life are the relationships we have. For those who find themselves and believe they're friendless, God, would you provide a friend? For those who need companionship, God, would you provide companionship? For those who are suffering, would you surround them with friends who will lift up their arms and love them today? God, thank you for your redemption. Thank you for your love. Thank you for second chances and new hope and new creation and a better tomorrow. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.